All right, and if you have your Bible, if you would, please take your Bible with me. And we're going to hold it high, claiming the Word of God. Hallelujah, that in America today we can still come to church and open up His Holy Word. Amen? So let's say it together like we mean it. This is my Bible. God's holy word. I will make it a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. I will hide its words in my heart that I might not sin against God. Hallelujah. Today we're, we're in for a blessing as Pastor Luke is going to be coming and uh, to share a message of, are we enough? Are we enough? What holds us back from being enough? What insecurities and inadequacies hold us back from being enough? And I want you to know that today that you are enough. And he's going to be saying that in this message today that you are enough because of the blood of Jesus Christ. He went to the cross to die for you, rose at third grave, and we have life because of him. Hallelujah. You're enough. God bless you. Welcome to the island of the well, good morning. That that little snippet from that song is from a KJ52 song called Island of the Misfit Toys. The Island of the Misfit Toys comes from Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and the Island of the Misfit Toys. And what the Island of the Misfit Toys is, it's where toys go that are unwanted, maybe not put together well, maybe halfway broken, or maybe they think they're a little messed up so kids wouldn't want them. One of the items in the Misfit Toys, instead of a jack-in-the-box, his name is Charles. And he says, who would want a Charles in the box? And I think a lot of us, we feel like a misfit. The dictionary says this is the definition of a misfit. A person whose behavior or attitude sets them apart from others in an uncomfortable way or something that does not fit or fits badly. We say... New Hope is a bunch of misfits. There's a group of us that say, yep, we're New Hope misfits. One time I even got introduced as like the leader of the misfits. I don't know why I'm the leader of the misfits, but I I told Ali, I said, I don't know how I should take that. Should I take that as a compliment? That, you know, they're like, yeah, you're you're the leader. You're, You're the one who looks up to us. Or should I take that as something bad that, yep, yeah, you're a misfit. Wow, bro, you are messed up. The first week, uh, Chris Harvey, a friend of CJ and uh, Donnie and Chris and Sam, and it's uh, Stevie's cousin. The first week he was here, he was sitting there, and I went to introduce myself to him. And CJ said, oh, Pastor Luke, you better watch out. This row right here is the Island of the Misfit Toys. I said, well, if that's the case, I'm going to sit right down with you because that, that's me. And I said that at first. Because I have felt out of place. I have felt unwanted. I have done my share of what people would call misfit things, mischievous things. I have done my things that I'm not proud of. I have done things that I wouldn't want people to know about me. Because then they were going to look at me different and be like, really? You did that? 
And I have felt, like later on in that song it says, I encourage you to go and listen to it again. It's KJ52. Uh, he's also a pastor down in Florida. His name is Pastor Jonah. Awesome guy. Me and Allie have met him a couple times. And later on in that song it says, I felt broken and awkward. I have felt crumbling, insecure, and struggling with the hurt. I have felt like a reject, a loser, a defect, a weirdo, and a strange kid. I took a survey this week, and some of the people who I text were probably wondering why I text them this and asked them, and now they're here to find out. I sent out a text to some people, and I said, Do you ever feel like a misfit, and why? And the responses that I got back came with a lot of the same emotion and a lot of the same feeling. Yes, I feel like a misfit. Yes, I feel like I don't fit in. Yes, I feel like a square cube going in a round hole. The things that I have done in the past, I've always messed things up. People don't understand me. There's no one like me. I don't follow the social norms of today, so I don't fit in. If you've only knew my past, if you only knew the things I was addicted to, you would say, yeah, you're a misfit. And I want you to know that, again, I have felt the same way too. And this is something that I have been struggling with lately, feeling that I'm not enough. But today, I declare I'm going to start to change my thinking. And I want you to start to change your thinking. And I want you to see yourself through God's eyes. Because when God looks at you, He doesn't see just a misfit. I want you to know today that you are more than a misfit. You are more than what you were. Father God, we thank you for today. We thank you for being able to come here and gather together and worship and encourage one another. Today, Father, help us to look at ourselves through your eyes and not see what we were, but what you want us to become. Help us to see that we are more than a misfit. In your heavenly name, amen. We can look at a lot of characters in the Bible, and we can say that person was a misfit. That person, what they did before Christ, wow, they were messed up. And sometimes we can look at them and be like, really, God used them? Well, God can't use me. We feel unqualified. Well, look at Moses. Moses killed an Egyptian out of hate, out of anger. But God still used him to free the Israelites and lead them to the promised land. Jonah, Jonah literally ran from God. He said, God, no, I'm not going to Nineveh. I'm going to do what I want to do, and I'm going to go the opposite way. And how many of us have done that? We have gone the opposite way. We're like, yeah, I just don't fit in with those church people. I don't belong there. I'm going that way. But God still used Jonah. Rahab, Rahab was a prostitute. David, King David, the one who they say was a man after God's own heart. He had an affair. And then after his affair, he had that man's husband, Naaman, put on the front line because he knew that they were going into battle. And that if Naaman died, he wouldn't have to really deal with his sin. But God still used David mightily. Peter, Peter had an anger problem. Jeremiah, Jeremiah just... He, he had a lot of depression. God's army isn't perfect. 
We call it the March of the Unqualified. We could spend weeks talking about characters of the Bible who were not perfect and who we could say were misfits. But today I want to look at the things that God says we are. Can you imagine this? You just got married. You're about to go out on your honeymoon. You get to the airport and the husband says, oh, I forgot my wallet in the car. Let me go grab it. He goes to the car and the wife is there waiting and waiting. And he doesn't come back. So she frantically goes inside the airport. The plane that they're supposed to board leaves and she can't find him anywhere. This is the true story of a man named Sean McNulty, who was found three days later wandering around, disoriented, bug bitten from head to toe, full of amnesia. He didn't know his new bride, Amy. He didn't know his own mother. He didn't even know his own identity. What would it be like to not know your own identity, to not know who you are? You can't experience inner peace and complete contentment. Instead, confusion will reign if you don't know who you are. Sadly, this is how many people live their life today. They have spiritual amnesia and they don't see themselves through God's eyes. You have to establish worth before you can say that you're worthy. So how do we determine what is worthy? When there's an auction, the, the item being auctioned off always goes to the highest bidder. It's not always the same bidder, but it's always the highest bidder. To the one willing to pay the highest price. Consider this. Jesus paid the ultimate price for you when he died on the cross and he said, You are worthy. You are worth it. I came to earth to die for you. This is how valuable you are. We have to transform our mind and make it new. So who are you? Point number one. I am dead to my sins and I am adopted by God. I am dead to my sins and I am adopted by God. When we come to Christ, when we fully decide, okay, God, I can't do this on my own. I need you. That is when we become transformed. Here is one person's response from this week when I asked him if they feel like a misfit. No, I do not. The blood of Christ has set me free. God is in the business of transformation and not restoration. Before I was born again, all things put me in chains. All things I thought of myself. I believe 85% of what we think is negative, and for me, for me, that's probably on the low end of the spectrum. You have to destroy the chatter. You have to fix the focus on Christ and believe solely on what the Word of God says about you. And he looked through time, and he said, we were worth dying for. My identity is not in the world. It's what God says I am. My soul is well. I have faith to go forward each day knowing that what my eyes see is not reality. But what I believe comes true. I walk by faith and not by sight. And I am grateful for every blessing that God has already bestowed upon me. It's my choice to have the courage to walk with him and receive it. 
right? If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 10 out of Ephesians chapter 2. Starting in verse 1, it says, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and many sins. You used to live in sin. I like how it says, you used to. Wording is so important. It doesn't say, you continue to live in sin. In Proverbs, it says, there is power, there is life and death in the power of the tongue. Sometimes we use words and we don't really realize what we're saying. I was with some guys the other week, and one of them was saying something about a trap house. And another guy said, well, what's a trap house? Well, a trap house for people who are addicts are, is a place where they go to to use, to just get away. And he said, and so the one guy's like, well, what's a trap house? And he goes, well, us addicts, you know, a trap house. And I said, whoa, what did you say? Re- re- reword what you first said. He said, what did I say? I'm like, you said us addicts. You put yourself in that category again when you are no longer that. It's, it's, like people, it's like people who go to NA or AA. They stand up there every week and they say, hello, my name is Luke, and I am an alcoholic. I am. No, you are not. Once you, once you are transformed by God, you are totally new. So verse 2, it says, You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. But our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God, but God, and only through him. It's not but in ourselves, but in the things that we have done, but God. So rich in his mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were in our sins, and we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life. When he raised Christ from the dead, it is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead, the dead along with Christ, and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. So God can point to us in all future ages as an example of the incredible wealth in his grace and kindness toward us. As shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ. Christ Jesus and eight and nine, some of the most powerful verses that talk about our salvation. It says God saved you by his grace when you believed and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift of God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done. So none of us can boast about it for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he has planned for us a long time ago. To to view yourself through God's eyes, you have to view yourself as new. I like how the one person said God is in the business of transformation and not restoration. Sometimes we get them confused or we may not even know the difference. When I look at restoration, I look at somebody restoring a car. They are taking that car and they are making it like new. They are making it like it was before. 
God's not making us like we were before because before we knew him, we already know we were in our sins. We were dead to ourselves. We didn't have life. God is taking us and transforming us and making us something totally and completely different. When you accept God's gift of salvation, when you become born again, when you ask Jesus into your heart, when you get to the end of yourself and you get to the beginning of God, that is when you realize these chains are broken off. These chains that are holding you down and you are adopted into God's family. God already has a son, Jesus, but yet he still chose us. Turn back a page if you're still there in Ephesians to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. Ephesians 1, 4 and 5, verse 4. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us to be in Christ, to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. God already has a son, a son without blemish, a son without fault, a son that didn't ever make mistakes, a son that is perfect, a son that never disappointed him. So how awesome is it that God, who had this son that had no blemish, that he still wants to adopt us through all of our mistakes, all of our hurts, all of our habits. God didn't need another son. And God didn't need a daughter, but we need a father. And that father is Christ and Jesus and God. He didn't need us, but he chose us. Romans 8, 15 says, so you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you have received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own child. Now we get to call him. Abba, Father. Galatians 4, 5 and 7, 5 through 7. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his own children. And because we are his own children, God has sent the Holy Spirit into our hearts, prompting us to call out to him, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. I am secure because I am adopted by God. Point number two, I am forgiven by God. Oh man, to be forgiven. Forgiveness is a big part of the Christian walk. Not only in forgiving others, not only in Christ forgiving us, but we have to forgive ourselves. We have to forgive ourselves from every wrong thing we have done. We have to forgive ourselves the other people that have done stuff to us and we hold it in and we hold bitterness and contentment against them. And it only just puts more and more chains on you and holds you down and when you're in chains, you can't move. One of the New Testament words for forgiveness is tet 
Elestia, meaning to loose away from or lift off. But Jesus also said this word when he was on the cross, meaning it is finished, paid in full. First John 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If Jesus can forgive us of our sins, if Jesus can forgive us from all the wrong things that we have done against Him, against others, why can't we forgive ourselves? Why do we have to keep hanging on to who we were? We do that way too often. Again, we say, I am this, or I was this. Sometimes we put it out there for everybody to see, and it doesn't do anything. And I, and I realized, I have done this too. We'll sit around and we'll talk, and somebody will say something about one time where they did something stupid or got in trouble, and then I'll be like, well, you did that. Well, listen to this story that I did. And I realized, by me telling these stories, or by people telling these stories of their past mistakes... Sometimes it's not building life into anybody. You're not helping anybody. Our words are supposed to be words of encouragement and helping people overcome. But if we keep bringing up the past, how are we supposed to get over it? If you want freedom, you must forgive yourself and get past it. I have confidence because I am forgiven by God. What else are you? Point number three. You are complete in Christ. Albert Einstein, everybody knows who Albert Einstein is, known all over the world, said this. It is strange to be known so universally, but yet feel so lonely. These words of the famous Albert Einstein mirror the pain that have oppressed so many human hearts. Loneliness presents a paradox. How can such heaviness come from such emptiness? The answer lies in this, the fact that our heart yearns to be connected with somebody significant. God made us this way. We have all experienced loneliness. We have all experienced, you know, this state of being cut off from others or a lack of connection with others. The greatest fear of most single people is loneliness. In 1950, one out of every ten households was a single person. Today, it has risen to one out of every four households. And sadly, single people often live in this, under this black cloud of incompleteness. Again, I was talking with a friend and he said, he, exper- he expressed to me that he's been kind of depressed because he is Lonely and the lack of significant other. But he said game seven of the 2016 World Series was a game changer when he, a man that he looked up to said to him, I can't wait till you bring a girl in front, in the front door of the church. These emotional rain clouds molded by well-meaning friends. They tell us, don't worry, one day Mr. Wright will come and complete you. Again, without even realizing it, the words that we're saying, or they'll say, don't worry, one day you'll find someone who will make you whole. No wonder the single person is so fearful. Who wants to be half a person? If you are a child of God, 
if you have given your life to Christ. At the moment of your salvation, you receive the indwelling Christ, whose presence can produce total fulfillment and complete wholeness. Colossians 2 Verses 6 through 10 says, And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow Him. That's the thing. We have to continue. It says, Those who seek Me with their whole heart. And when you seek Me with your whole heart, then I will show you who I am. We can't be in halfway. It's not one foot in, one foot out. There's no line of Christianity that we can be dancing on. It says, well, you must continue to follow me. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then, when your life is built on him, then your faith will grow strong in the truth that you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking and from spiritual powers of this world, but rather the things from Christ. For in Christ lives all the fullness in God in a human body, so you are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head of every ruler and authority. And it's not just people who are unmarried who feel lonely. People who are married can feel lonely from an absent spouse. You can be married and not feel lonely from your spouse, but maybe you feel lonely from an absent father or mother. Or maybe you feel lonely because you don't have many friends or you don't think you have friends at all. Again, back to the text message that I got this week. One person wrote me back telling me why they felt like a misfit. And it kind of resonated with me a little bit. They said this. As a kid, we moved around a lot. Every new school was a new group of kids that always had a history together or those memories. So I never felt like I fit in. I knew I wouldn't be there long, so I never wanted to put forth the effort to be bothered. It was easier to stand out than to blend in. So I started doing things to make myself stand out even more. That is why, that way I had some weird sense of control over the situation that I felt I had absolutely no control over. I tell you, I have felt this way too. I have felt lonely and isolated. I have felt like I have not had very many friends. The first time I remember moving, we moved when in between second and third grade, we moved over to Pennsylvania to start a church. Now, luckily, the neighborhood that we moved into, there was one kid my age. So me and Josh, we made really good friends. And then when school started, he introduced me to his friend, Brad, and we became the three best friends. We were the three amigos, the three musketeers, whatever you want to call it. We we hung out at recess every day. Since Josh was my neighbor, we'd hang out after school. And then a year later, Josh's dad got another job, and they had to move away. And now there wasn't anybody in my neighborhood. Yeah, I've seen Brad at school, maybe sometimes on the weekend, but there was nobody right there for me to hang out with. No friends right there in the neighborhood. And then another year later, Brad's parents got divorced, and he moved with his mom. 
to another town. And now I felt so alone without any friends. And there would be times where I'd have a friend here or there. I'd have my church friends. In sixth grade, I got homeschooled. So there wasn't anybody in our neighborhood. We lived out in the country, so it was just me and my brother. And then our friends at church that we'd see on Sunday and Wednesday. So we go back to school at seventh grade. And you come out of fifth grade, you go into sixth grade. A lot of changes. You, you go from elementary school to middle school. So go, going back to school at seventh grade, these kids, they, they change. They form new bonds. Again, the feeling of loneliness and isolation. And then we move back here uh, right before my 11th grade year. In the school that we went to, a small school, I think our graduating class had 100 people. So all these kids, they knew each other their whole lives. And sometimes it felt like they didn't have room for just one more friend. So I know the pain of loneliness. I know the pain of wanting more. But when you find your identity in Christ and be who he wants you to be, And stop being what everybody else wants you to be. Stop being what everybody else thinks you are. And be who Christ created you to be. Then you find your value. The text message that I got that was saying about feeling lonely from kids, it didn't end there. It ended on this person finding a little bit of value. It said this, As an adult, I think that childhood has created an inability to trust people because I am also leery. And again, I I feel that way even inside of the church. We've seen people come and go. We make friendships with people. We build into their lives. And then one thing is said that upsets them. And out the door they go. But the thing that we have to remind ourselves is God only brings people sometimes for a certain season. Even though it's hard to see people leave, we have to remember who's the one who walked away. This person said this, that I feel leery about people, but it took a group like New Hope to finally break that wall down to where I felt I could reach out and begin to heal. So thank you, New Hope, for helping one person find healing. Because that's what the church is about. Helping people heal and overcome. I want you to know you have value because you are complete in Christ. You are adopted by God. He chose you. You are forgiven. It says, as far as the east is from the west, that's how far I'm going to cast your sins, your mistakes, your hurts, your depression, everything that holds you down. When you come to me, I'm going to throw it as far away from each other as it can possibly be. And you are complete. Christ came to make you complete. There is a hole in your heart that only Christ can fill. I could go on and on telling you the things that you are. You are precious to God. You are accepted by God. 
Too many of us think, if only, if only I was a little bit stronger, I'd have more friends and I'd feel more complete. If only I had more money, I would feel more complete. If only I was smarter, more people would want to be around me. And we live with this if-only life. All the things in your life that you think are flaws are actually God's fingerprints of perfection on you. We think that we are unacceptable to God. But he said in Hebrews 13, verse 5, it says, he said, I will never leave you or forsake you as long as your eyes are fixed on me as long as you're continuing to seek after me i'm not going to leave you you can't do anything in your life that will never make god not love you you have been given a new heart and some of you will say okay pastor well why why don't i feel like that just because somebody gives you something doesn't mean You have accepted it. I can give my wife a present. But if all it does is sit there on the table, she has no idea of the goodness that is inside until you accept it and you open it up. Until you open up the Bible and see the love that God has for you. We do that with our mistakes. When we do that, we can't ever get over them. We can't ever get past those mistakes, those hurts, those habits, those hang-ups if we keep talking about them and hanging on to them. You can't get over what you can't let go of. So if you've ever felt unashamed, if you've ever felt unworthy, unwanted or uninvited, I want you to hear one of the greatest gospel truths about Jesus. And that is that Jesus invites the people that others reject. Jesus invites those who who religion despises, the ones who are overlooked, the ones who feel like they're not good enough. Very quickly, I want to tell you a story about the time When Jesus was invited to Simon Peter's house, Simon the Pharisee's house, sorry, Simon the Pharisee's house for dinner. So in those days, again, they would walk around with sandals so their feet would get really dirty. And a lot of times when they go to a big dinner party, especially a fancy one like this, either one of the servants would wash their feet or they would at least have a bowl of water there for them to dust off their feet when they got there. But that didn't happen here. So Jesus is inside the house and all of a sudden in comes an uninvited and an unwanted guest. Not just somebody who's unwanted, but a prostitute. And as soon as she comes in, she runs up to Jesus and she falls down at his feet. And she takes out this bottle of perfume 
And again, perfume was very expensive in those days, especially for somebody of this lifestyle. Prostitution was totally different than it, it was really disgusting then. It was you were really looked down. It wasn't like a lucrative business like it is in some big cities here. No, it was it was something that you were ashamed of. And this lady, she probably never would have thought when I grew up I want to be a prostitute. There was something in her life that happened. Maybe she was abused when she was younger. Maybe she got with a boyfriend or her husband and he treated her that way so she felt her worth in that. Maybe her parents died at a young age and she thought, this is the only way I can provide for my brothers and sisters. We don't know this woman's story of how this happened. But I do tell you, I don't think she ever thought, that's what I want to be. An outcast of society. She goes in and she falls down at his feet. And after she pours perfume on it, she begins to weep uncontrollably. Jesus hadn't even said anything to her yet. And without even thinking, she takes her hair. Because in Jewish days, a woman would never unbind their hair in public. That was a sexual thing. And she unbinds her hair. And she wipes his feet with her hair. And Simon, Simon's over there thinking, he didn't say this out loud, he just thought, huh, if he's the Messiah, he would know the things that she's done? He would know that she's a prostitute. And Jesus looked over at Simon and said, really? Really, Simon? You didn't even give me a bowl of water to wash my feet when I came in. But this lady poured perfume on it, and she has wept on it, and she is drying it with her hair. And you think you're up there? And he looked at this woman, and he said, You are forgiven. Everything you have done, I don't even remember it anymore. You are made new. The question is, how did this woman know who Jesus was? What transpired before this? Luke doesn't tell us, but we can, we can look at a couple different things when it goes back. When we look at Luke, we know that that's the same day that John the Baptist's disciples came to Jesus. So if we turn back to Matthew, that same day, Jesus preached a powerful message. And maybe this woman was in the back crowd and heard this message that Jesus preached. And the message was this. He said, I don't care who you are. You are invited to God's family. You are welcome. You can come just as you are. He said, come to me. All who are weary and heavy laden and heavy burdened, come to me all those who have chains around them, dragging you down. Come to me and I will give you rest. 
Come to me, those who are wrecked and overcome with guilt. Come to me, those who are burdened by shame. Come to me, those who are, feel tired of trying and never living up to their own standards, much less living up to other people's standards. He said, come to me, those who have been rejected again and again by people. Come to me, who religion has turned away. And if you have ever felt turned away by another Christian, and they preach something in God's name, and you felt like you don't belong, I want to say I'm sorry for that. Because that is not the life of Christ. Those are not the words. I'm sorry that you have ever felt that way. Come to me, and I will give you rest. Come to me with your past. Come to me with those other things that people don't like and that people judge. Just come to me. Come to me and I will give you rest. Again, a lot of the times, this is exactly how we feel. We feel like a misfit because of our past. We say, Pastor Luke, if you only knew my past, and we take the chains and we start to put them on us. Say, Pastor Luke, if you only knew the things that people thought about me, if you only knew how lonely or how much depression I have. And we continue to put these chains on us. I can't go too far. I can't do a whole lot if I have these chains on me. We say, all right, all right, I have heard the story. I know Christ can set me free. All right. God, I give you my past mistakes and addictions. And we start to free ourselves. We say, God, I have been hurt by that person time and time again. I have done like you have said and turned the other cheek. I am no longer a slave to them. Take my chains. And we start to feel better. We start to realize how much we need God. And we take the chains off. And we start to say, I feel free. I can move around. And then somebody reminds you of your past. You pick up another chain. Because that was the one thing you never really let go of. We say, well, God, why aren't you blessing me? God, why can't I receive the things you're giving me? We can't receive anything if our hands are already full. You say, God, I feel broken. I feel empty. And you look at the cross 
And you think of all the things that he did for you. And he said, you are worthy. And we realize without him, we are nothing. And we strip off that last chain. And we say, God, I need you. God, I feel like a misfit. I feel like I don't belong. And God says, no. You are not your past mistakes. You are not that. I want you to know that you are worthy. You are loved. You are made new. You are not that. That is who you were. You have been transformed by my blood and my sacrifice. I don't remember what you did anymore. So why do you still keep hanging on? And we have to realize that God calls us so much more than a misfit. We're going to have a time of invitation. And what that is, is that is just an invite for you to come down to the altar. The altar is where lives are transformed. Freedom is found. The heavy chains are lifted off. So if you have ever felt unworthy, if you feel like you don't belong, you feel like you still have something missing in your life, I invite you to come today and lay it all down at the altar. I'll be up here, pastors up here, there's other women that will be up here to pray with you. Maybe you need to grab somebody's hand next to you and say, please go down with me. I can't face it on my own, but that's what we're here for. We're here to encourage you and to love you know and let you know that you are worthy. Father God, we thank you for this time. We thank you that you call us worthy. That you call us redeemed. You call us so much more than a misfit. You say that we are a conqueror through So let us lift off these chains. Let us lift off these burdens and lay them down at your holy feet. We thank you for your redemptive power and the freedom that we can find in you. In your heavenly name, amen.